every Buy Nothing Project community is a gift economy. And a gift economy is the oldest economy that we know of. Like a toy co-op is a really great example. And another one that I think a lot of people are familiar with is hand-me-down clothing when you're a child. That was sort of one of the reasons we started the Buy Nothing Project was sort of starting to think about how can we open this up so that entire community and how can we bring some abundance and joy to this? So instead of us denying ourselves things, why don't we just make it possible for all of us to share and give to each other the things we already have. We already have so much, so much stuff in our houses and our cars and our garages. Welcome to Mindful Businesses presented by Sarani and I'm your host, Vedya Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands that are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Rebecca Rockefeller, co-founder of Buy Nothing Project. Buy less and share more. She joins us from Brainbridge Island, Washington. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yes, I'm glad we finally connected with your really, really busy schedule. Yes, I know. I'm sorry that took a little bit of doing. So I'm so glad this is working out. (laughs) So several of us live in a very materialistic world, and perhaps we have more wants than needs. And some of us who want to do some good, we donate our excess to charitable organizations How are our donations processed? Say we give it to Goodwill or Salvation Army or the Red Cross. I don't know exactly how all of the different organizations work, but I do know a little bit. Generally speaking, when your things are donated to a large, like Goodwill is the one I'm most familiar with because I've actually toured their facility with my kids to learn about it. Your boxes go through an immediate sorting process and a lot of your textiles, um, clothing, If it doesn't look perfect or really choice, they immediately bail it up and it's sold as a recycled commodity, just as a textile commodity. A lot of toys, if they don't look complete, go into a giant dumpster bin. And then other items go in to be sorted by volunteers and then resold. So that's at least how it happens at my local Goodwill. And I I don't think that there's anything wrong with their process. I don't want to be seen as casting aspersions on what they do. They deal with a lot of people just putting random things in a box and bringing them in there. So they, you know, they're doing the best they can with the big, you know, fire hose of stuff that's being visited upon them every day. And they actually provide a valuable resource in the community by creating jobs, by making affordable clothing and other items available. So it is, they do play a really valuable role. But sometimes the things that we donate reaches places like, say, overseas and they can harm their economies. Like if you go to the streets in Africa, you'll find Levi's jeans and, you know, maybe your winter jacket even there when you actually don't need it. And uh, it kills the local economy. Yeah, that is a huge issue. And it's really, you brought up such a perfect example of that. So textile waste is a huge, huge impact on our planet. It's one of the largest sort of waste producers. So fast fashion in general produces just, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but it's a huge amount of waste. 
And a lot of the fast fashion items that people think that they're doing the sort of virtuous thing by dropping them in a donation box on their neighborhood, a lot of those do end up being resold, not given away and resold in communities where they're eroding local textile production and manufacturing, local businesses, local people trying to run local businesses to support their local economies. And yeah, those are, that's definitely an unintended impact. Nobody thinks when they put their, you know, their nice old clothes in a donation box, people think they're doing the right thing. People want to do the right thing. And I think sometimes these systems work against us. And that's definitely a good example of one that doesn't do what we think it does. What exactly does Buy Nothing do? So your platform is different. Every Buy Nothing project community is a gift economy. And a gift economy is the oldest economy that we know of. It's basically the way that families manage their materials. So it's an economy based on human relationships and compassion, really care, and a desire for everyone to succeed. So when you have a family meal, you make sure that everybody gets to eat. You don't have one person eat 90% of the meal and the other people get to share 10% of it. Everybody eats the amount that they need for their body. So basically that thinking is the thinking behind a gift economy. So a buy nothing gift economy puts everybody in a neighborhood or in a community together so that they can ask for anything they want or need. They can give away anything they don't want to have anymore and they can share things so they can loan things to each other. They can borrow and all of it comes without strings attached. It's literally a gift. So everybody can choose who they want to give their gift to. People can ask for things. There's no guarantee that they will receive what they ask for. But what's happening is that people are starting to see each other as equal participants and equal in value to the community and as people who have a shared existence, like who need each other, basically, the same way that we do within a family. So it's sort of applying that family gift economy logic to a community and allowing people to share. So it keeps goods circulating right where they already are among people who want them and need them. And everybody participates both as a giver and as a receiver so that there, it doesn't have that traditional, you know, American charity model where there are some people who have and other people who have not and goods only flow in one direction. So this is almost like when my kids were young, we had a toy co-op. You know, we were just tired of buying more and more toys as they grew. And but we did want our kids to have all of them. So a couple of our the parents who had similar age kids who had similar interests, we pooled our toys and we would, you know, have it for two weeks. And it was very informal. And but it's something like that. But you have taken it nationwide and worldwide. Yes, exactly. That's a perfect example. I think a lot of people who think that they don't know what a gift economy is do. We just don't think of them that way. So like a toy co-op is a really great example. And another one that I think a lot of people are familiar with is hand-me-down clothing when you're a child. Like even though a lot of people still buy new clothing, it's really common, I think, still for people to pass clothing from family to family or within a neighborhood, you know, a workplace, whatever. My daughter's 10 and I know your daughter is eight. I'm going to give you all of my daughter's outgrown clothes and you can do what you want with them. And when you're done, you can pass them on or whatever. It doesn't, it's like, I'm literally just gifting you this thing and you're happy to take it. And our kids are happy to wear them. And it just, it's very informal. So yeah, what we did was made it, gave it some structure and yeah, took it worldwide. <laughs> 
what was the impetus what was the motivation just a very frustrated spring cleaning day what happened so i co-founded the buy nothing project with my best friend liesel clark and we had met in our local free cycle group because we were constantly having our membership suspended because we were pushing the boundaries too much so she would offer things that our free cycle moderator didn't think were appropriate gifts and i would be the only person who wanted them and i would do the same and then we were also just telling stories about the things that we were offering and that did not fly what is a free cycle So free cycle is another really great movement that is similar to the buy nothing project but also foundationally pretty different but free cycle is a movement of groups I don't know exactly what platform they're using right now when we joined it was years ago and they were an old fashioned email list serve and it's all about quick diversion of things from the landfill so it's a real item focused stuff focused just you can get on there you can give away free goods that are in very good shape they have to be good and you can offer them up and people can take them and they always go to the first person to reply it's sort of a first come first serve keep stuff out of the landfill movement and they have great impact on that they're a wonderful impactful organization in that respect they're not so great if you want to tell stories or you want to lend and borrow or you want to give things that are maybe not in great shape <laughs> Yeah, Liesl and I met actually through Free Cycle. We have kids the same age. They both ended up all of our kids ended up in the same school program and we ended up doing a lot of science work just looking at plastic pollution locally, documenting how much plastic we were producing as a community since we live on an island, it's really easy to track things like that. And that led us to doing all sorts of experiments on ourselves to see how much we could reduce our own waste and how much we could sort of impact things ourselves just through our own individual actions. But like you were saying earlier, we also wanted our kids to have toys. Like this wasn't meant to be an experiment in denying our children the pleasure of playing with plastic toys. <laughs> so that was sort of one of the reasons we started the buy nothing project was sort of starting to think about how can we open this up so that we are it's not just our two families working on this experiment but it's our entire community and how can we bring some abundance and joy to this so instead of us denying ourselves things why don't we just make it possible for all of us to share and give to each other the things we already have We already have so much so much stuff in our houses and our cars and our garages and you know what if we looked at that differently what if we looked at it as something that we can share and build our identity through how much we give and receive versus how much brand new stuff we store and have Where was the first buy nothing project started in Bainbridge Island Washington or Yes, right here on Bainbridge Island. That was the very first one and it went from 0 people in July of 2013 within a couple of months I think we had about 5000 people in it which at that point was about 5% of the population. So it was pretty big all of a sudden and at that point also it had grown to Seattle areas and Kitsap County around us and Canada and Massachusetts and then it just took off from there. We have sort of buy nothing groups that use Facebook as their platform and we've got 44 countries and about 5 and a quarter 5 and a million people participating there. We have an independent app that we just built that has just over a quarter million people in it after 4 months. Wow, those are like really impressive numbers. So just explain to our listener who haven't had the opportunity to benefit from your app 
or Facebook page. How does it work? So I have a beautiful pod, but I am moving. I need to get rid of it. What do I do? Great. So the fastest thing would be to you download our app, you take a picture of your pot and you go into the app, you click on, I have something to give. You upload the picture of your pot looking pretty. And then you tell a little story about it. You say, this is my beautiful pot. I got it as a gift from my sister. I've used it to store, I don't know, scarves, but I'm moving and I really want to find a new home for it. And then you post that and everybody in your community who's using this part of this project can see that and they can reply and say, oh, I love this pot. Here's what I would do with it. Or, you know, oh, this is what I would do with it. Or I'd love it for a gift for my mother-in-law. I mean, people will come in and reply in a variety of ways. And then you, as the person who's giving this gift, get to choose who you want to give your gift to, because it really is, this isn't a first come first served thing. This is like, you are a steward of this object and you are picking its next steward. So however you want to do that, you can pick someone you've never met before. You can pick your best friend. You could pick someone because you like their story. You could ask people to tell you jokes and pick the one that makes you laugh the most. There's no rule about how you can choose the recipient. And what we ask people to do is build as many different connections as they can. So instead of always giving the same way or always to the same person, we ask you to really think about how you can use your gifts to build a really complicated network of connections in your community because those complicated networks of connections start to protect all of us when we're going through hard times. Like the pandemic is a really great example of, I think, a a wake-up call for all of us where uh, many of us who hadn't thought about it before suddenly realized that our actions, our daily actions really truly do impact other people in a life or death way. And we have the capacity to literally save people. It's that sort of when we get into one of those situations and we have a really complicated network of connections where we recognize each other or we know we've had this interaction because we've been giving each other gifts, it's so much easier to lift a whole community up through a crisis or get them through a hard time when we've got that bedrock. So why are the stories so important to you? I think the stories are so important because I think that the lack of a shared narrative, the lack of a community identity is one of the reasons that so many of us are compelled to buy so many new things. And it's why these new things don't make us as happy as we think they will. We get this little, you know, happy hormone rush when we click buy on something online and we're like, oh, I've just acquired a new thing. I'm so excited. It's our superhuman impulse. We all get that little rush of like, oh, new thing. I'm so thrilled. But that's it. It's not very lasting. And it's an empty pursuit. We fill our homes up. And I actually heard a a professor speaking the other week who said that there's a true connection between acquisition of new stuff and loneliness, that the people who buy the most new stuff are actually the loneliest people in our communities. And so we've upended that in the Buy Nothing Project by saying, you can still get all of the things you want and need 
they're not brand new from a store, but what you're really getting is that story that comes with it. Like, I know that this was Vidya's pot and now I have it and I'm going to use it for a couple of years and then I'm going to give it to, you know, this person and they're going to have it. And now we're all, we're part of this narrative around this object, but really it's the connection that we have and it's what, you know, what you used it for, what I use it for. It's that, um, sense of actual community, actual sharing of goods. It's It fills something that I think is really lacking. It does make us literally less lonely, <laughs> makes us happier. And the converse of the theory that you heard this professor talk about acquisition and loneliness, the converse of that is altruism and mental health and how it can make you happy by giving. That is now I know many of the therapists actually offer that as a solution. Go and do a good deed today. It seems like something that you shouldn't be telling people to do, but we have to tell people that for their own <laughs> happiness anyway. <laughs> no, you're right. Say like, do a good thing and you'll feel better. But yeah, we've gotten to that point in society. <laughs> But it's true. I mean, so the other, so we have within any, if you don't download our app and you get in there and you give your pot away, you're going to see that there are three things you can do. One of them is you can give something. The second is you can ask for something. And the third is you can share gratitude. And so it's that gratitude, people coming in there and saying like, I got this bicycle and now I can ride to work or I got this lunchbox that my son wanted and he's so happy to go to school. Now he's got just what he wanted. It's seeing that sharing the gratitude makes us feel better. And also seeing other people express gratitude makes us feel better. It starts gives us this sense that we belong to an abundant community and an abundant world, as opposed to that sort of scarcity mindset that I think we are, that we internalize when we're growing up in any capitalist society, because that's really what drives it all is sort of the scarcity, the idea that like, this is a scarce resource and I must hoard it. I've got to get it for myself. I'm not safe. So there's a certain safety net that you start to build for yourself when you're participating in a buy nothing community where you, and you're building it for other people at the same time. It just feels really good. So your growth has been phenomenal, even with your app adoption now. Has it all been organic? How did it all start? How did you get your first 5,000 in two months? So that was, it's all just organic growth, really word of mouth. So this has all been non-monetized. It's free to participate in and we don't pay for advertising. We just get the word out. And I honestly think that it doesn't, it speaks to the power of gift economies. The fact that the word spreads so quickly because it's not just about keeping stuff out of the landfill, although that is the impact that we have collectively. It's really more about building up a community, building these connections that are based on generosity and compassion and joy. And that's a hard thing to keep quiet about if you've participated in it. So I think that's what happened is people joined that first group and then they started literally emailing and calling their friends and saying, you've got to check this out. You've got to start one for your neighborhood. It's so much fun. I've met all these people. So it's literally, that's, I think, the reason that we've grown is just because people talk about it because they have a good time with it. So how does one start one in their neighborhood? There isn't one in West Lafayette, Indiana. And 
how does one start one? So if you are willing to be the person to start this for your neighborhood, we have a free Buy Nothing Academy on our website, which is the self-paced modules that contain all of our best advice and best practices. So you can go to the website, you can walk yourself through the Buy Nothing Academy. It sort of breaks down how a Buy Nothing community works and how you can help nourish it and bring it to life. And then it'll sort of, it gives you a little like, here's a little thing to try and here, do this first. And then you do this next. And you basically just follow along through the Buy Nothing Academy and start getting the word out to your neighborhood, however you want to do that. So if you want to, you can literally tell everybody, you know, on social media, you can tell people in person, you can put flyers up in your neighborhood. You know, sometimes people get articles written in their newspapers to help get the word out or just put Sometimes people start off with an event, so they will do like a, I think my favorite term is junk in the trunk. <laughs> so they just put a bunch of stuff on the back of their car, come to a parking lot and say, this is where I'm going to be. Come and pick a gift out of the trunk of my car. It's in a big public location, so everybody feels safe. It's um, outdoors, so people feel safe in a pandemic sense. And it's a fun thing to do, to be the person who's literally giving gifts away from the trunk of your car. So some people do an event like that in person to help get the word out. but You really need about the really sweet spot tends to develop in a community when you have about 300 people who are part of it. So you just, it can be a little bit of a trek to get to that third, the 300 person, you know, sort of, it'll start to pick up around 100 people. When you get to 300, it's this really sweet spot where things work really well. It's a manageable goal, (laughs) one person at a time. It spreads faster than you might think. (laughs) So how much time and commitment do these volunteer admins have to commit to? So to to sort of guide a community, you can make it a full-time job if you want it to be, or you could do it at an hour a day or 10 minutes a day. I It really varies. And especially if you're using, if you're participating in our app, you really can truly do 10 or 15 minutes a day, or maybe a half hour at the most, I would say, because we have built the structure there for you. So you don't have to do the gatekeeping kind of things that Facebook admins do, where people are screening each other and deciding who stays and who goes and dealing with people who are unhappy. Because as you might imagine, when you have a lot of different gifts being given, there are certain things that, you know, everybody will be offended at some point by some gift that's being offered or some gift that's being requested. And so people have, we have a lot of um, feelings about our stuff and people need to process those feelings. (laughs) So we've tried really hard to build a structure in the app so that we're doing the heavy lifting on that and freeing people who want to do the community building up to just really focusing on being helpful to each other, really leading by doing. So you can, the best thing you can do is give things away, ask for things and share your gratitude because literally seeing you do that is going to inspire other people to do the same. So you don't monetize. Are you a nonprofit? For the first, we are about nine years old now, almost 10. And for the first eight and a half years or so, we were nothing. Actually, we were just a social movement. It was Liesl and myself. We paid for the website. We paid all of the costs out of our own pocket that are associated with the website that we host and that sort of thing. And then about a year ago, when we really got serious about wanting to build the app, we realized we were going to need 
funding because it costs money to create an app from scratch. So we became a benefit corporation. So that's what we are now. So we really wanted to be able to blend the mission of a nonprofit with the agility of a corporation. So I have um, a background. I was the executive director for a nonprofit locally. So I'm familiar with how nonprofits work, but also I find the flexibility of nonprofits is not great enough to match the flexibility that we need for the movement that we have because we are constantly refiguring and re sort of coming to new understandings about what we're doing and how it works and coming up with better ways to do it. So that's why we picked the Benefit Corporation. So where did you get the funding from? So our funding to build the app came from friends and family investors who were believed that we will be able eventually to make this sustainable in a financial sense and helped us, you know, paid for us to pay the developers. So to this point, all of the funding that we've received from our friends and family sort of investing round has gone entirely to pay the developers who made the app for us. Why was it important not to monetize? Because it's really easy. You could run banner ads and just, just different things. You know, money always helps the problems. It does. And I think we've learned a lot of lessons. And one of the things that we've learned is that if you are women building a social movement on your free labor, people will become entitled. They believe that they are entitled to your perpetual free labor. So we have about 13,000 or maybe more than that, 20,000 some volunteers who run all of these local, you know, buy nothing communities when it's on Facebook. So that's where the vast majority of people contact the buy nothing project you know, over our first nine years. And most of these communities are led by women. And like Liesl and myself, these are women who are also working day jobs, and then they're doing this out of the goodness of their hearts. And I think there's a real power and sort of purity in it being all volunteer run like that. It will always provide my sort of like the documents that I write and thinking that I do for free for this, because it feels to me like it's a gift. That's the gift that I'm giving to the world is this gift economy thinking. But at the same time, we really do need something sustainable because it's turned into more than a full-time job that I'm not paid for. And that's not tenable. That's not going to help anybody. And it doesn't help. That doesn't make it sustainable. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, mindful businesses values seem to align with buy nothing. So we incorporated as a 501c3 nonprofit exactly for the same reasons. We wanted to be pure to the mission of showcasing authentic, credible, unbiased, not influencer resources for entrepreneurs and consumers to live a sustainable life. And people offer gifts to us, promotional items, and right from the beginning, it was our advisors and me, we decided we will not take money. And it's really hard for people to actually imagine that you are doing this for nothing. So why are you doing this? Like people ask me all the time. Yeah, I bet you people are suspicious. Exactly. Suspicion is the correct word. Like nobody believes that you could do something out of the goodness of your heart. But moving forward, we should talk a little bit about how hard it was to schedule you to come on this show and only two weeks ago, I realized that you had a full-time job and you were doing this major endeavor part-time. And I was like, oh my God, total respect for you. (laughs) 
Yes, I work for a nonprofit actually that does programming for teens and adults who have intellectual disabilities. So that's where I spend my days. And then I spend the other parts of my days and my nights and my weekends working on buy nothing stuff. Yeah, it's so funny, like your experience. And we definitely had people who were like, you could just monetize this if you charged everybody, you know, $10 and that's, they'd have to pay it in order to get in to do this. And I think we have some ideas about how we can monetize things in a mindful way so that we are still maintaining this free access. It's so foundational. It's so important that it be truly accessible, truly inclusive, and really as barrier-free as we can make it for people to join a buy nothing gift economy. That's the goal. That's the most important thing, really. In the startup world, buy nothing would be called a platform where there's a person who has something to give and there's a person who's willing to take it. Think about Airbnb. You have a home with an extra room and there is somebody who wants an extra room. And these platforms offer trust and safety. How does Buy Nothing offer trust to its users and specifically the admins, right? Because they are sort of the face of that group of 300 plus families or people. One of the things that everybody has to agree to in order to join a Buy Nothing community is to participate at their own risk. And it's really important that everybody remember that because if you are going to be giving a gift to somebody or receiving a gift from somebody and you're going to be meeting up in person, you need to do your own thinking about what is going to be safe for you and the other person so that everybody is coming to that interaction safely because we live in the world we live in, right? And admins of Buy Nothing groups that are using Facebook have, like you're saying, they are the person who is identified as that. And so they also, along with that, they have the power to remove people from those communities if they don't feel that they're safe. But it is not a role that is for everybody because it is fairly public. And I think that we can't promise anybody trust Trust is what you build for yourselves. So what we do give people is this set of guidelines and rules and a community agreement that was written by an equity team to really offer people the support they need to do that, to build the trust in their local community and their neighborhood. Because it does, it helps, I think, to remember that when you're participating in one of these, you're meeting, you're connecting with the people who are around you, who are close to you. So they're your neighbors, your coworkers, your, you know, they literally your community members. And a lot of us don't always see them because of how we work or we commute or whatever it is, but they're literally the people around you. So it's, very different than social media where people are able to be anonymous for a long time. <laughs> you can't really be anonymous in a buy nothing community because you're literally meeting up with people know you, you know them, you have mutual, you know, people, mutual acquaintances, you will eventually see each other in person at some point, probably even if it's through a window of a car or a house. So it's that the trust is really something that people need to build for themselves based on their interactions. Once the recipient of the gift has been decided, they can communicate via DM or text messages. And often it's just left on the porch at the designated time. And that's another way people ensure that they are not seen alone or having interactions with a stranger. That's definitely. And that works really well for suburban areas where people have porches. And then for bigger cities, people in really urban areas, sometimes they'll have 
a table in the lobby of their building where people leave gifts with names on them, or they will meet up at a coffee shop, or they'll meet up at a you know particular spot in the community that feels safe and public to everybody. So there are there are definitely different patterns of meeting up. So people really rural tend to meet up like once a week in the parking lot outside the grocery store that everybody drives to or the feed store. And then people suburban do a lot of porch pickups. Urban is a lot of like, I left it with my doorman or let's meet at the coffee shop on the corner of 5th and Main, <laughs> that kind of things. Yeah, a lot of that sort of safe distance stuff. So do you monitor if these items are resold? Like say there is one user, one member of your community who's constantly picking up the gifts, who's he or she is the fastest to react, has the best story, is the recipient of, of these items. And they go on eBay or on Craigslist and sell these things. Have you encountered this? Yes, so we have. And so sometimes comes as a shock to people. But from the very beginning, we have said there is no rule against reselling a gift that you receive from the Buy Nothing Project. But what is a rule is that we are honest with each other. And there are a good number of people who make their living and support their families by reselling used items. And that keeps used items in circulation. It supports local families. It feeds kids. And I cannot see that as a bad thing. That's not a bad way to make a living. So what is necessary though, in order to build trust in the community is honesty. So if I'm a professional reseller and I'm coming in and I want your bicycle, I need to say, I would love this bicycle. I will take it. I will clean it up. I will repaint it. I will tune it up and then I will sell it. And that's how I feed my kids. And then you get to decide, oh, do I want to give my bicycle to Rebecca or do I not? Like, do I like that idea? Am I comfortable with that use of my gift or would I rather give it to somebody else? So it's that honesty is what we ask people to give each other. And we ask people to respect the trust that's being built and to contribute to that. So if you are doing anything that destroys the trust in your community, if you are lying to people, if you're misrepresenting what your plan clearly is to take my bicycle and to resell it five minutes later, and you don't make that apparent, then yes, you can be removed from that community because you're in there not building trust. You are actively destroying trust, but perfectly fine to resell things. We've got people who take furniture and, you know, they're clear about it. I want this old dresser. I'm going to repaint it and strip it. And this is what I do. I resell, I flip furniture or people who are artists and craftspeople who like want all of the old wooden Scrabble tiles because they paint them and turn them into necklace pendants or earrings. So there's so many ways that our items can be used and given new life and contribute to the local market economy. And all of those are good. They're benefits to all of us. So we want there to be an open use. You know, all of these uses can have a place within a buy nothing community. It's just they need to rest on truth and mutual respect and honesty. What is the weirdest gift thus far in your knowledge? It's such a hard question because I have done this for so long now that honestly, they all seem normal to me. Like I have, like, I'm like, oh yeah, that, that's, I've seen that before and I've seen that too. So some of them, I just, the other day we asked some community guides to tell us like, what's the weirdest gift you've seen recently? Because I need good examples when people ask me this question and someone was collecting cherry pits because they wanted to make a reusable, like a, a heat pack, apparently cherry pits hold 
heat really well and so they need hundreds of cherry pits so they basically said to their community whenever you eat cherries please put the pits in a container and I will come pick them up and I need them I'm making these reusable heat packs so I mean that's like something that would normally like go in your compost or just the ground even or garbage and this you know it's a a useful tool that this person wanted so that's my favorite one for the day is the cherry pits (laughs) and what's the most expensive one i've literally seen houses given away cars sailboats vacations in hawaii so it's like plane tickets i mean all sorts of things that are huge big things (laughs) oh and weddings that's one of my favorite What do you mean give away weddings? So they give like a whole wedding package to a couple? Yeah, no, sometimes it's not a whole package. But the first time this happened, it was astounding to all of us. There was a woman who came to her community in Seattle and said, you know, my boyfriend and I are getting married and we don't have any family. We don't have any money. I'm just wondering if anybody might have, I can't remember what her initial ask. I think it might've been like a dress. She was like, I just wonder if anyone has a dress that I could wear to my wedding, just a pretty dress. And the whole community was like, what do you mean you have no family and you have like, you can't, you need more than a dress. So somebody offered her a dress. Another person gave her a ring. There was somebody who was an ordained minister who offered to officiate. There was a DJ who brought music. There were people who brought potluck food. Other people brought flowers from their garden. Somebody loaned the location, I think in their yard for the wedding. So it was couple who have were in love and felt like they had nothing. And all of a sudden, not only did they have the things, they had like a whole community of guests to come to their wedding to start their marriage off that way. And I've seen that happen now so many times where people come together and just are so excited for somebody else to have this amazing, wonderful, happy thing happening. Everybody wants a part of it. Everybody wants to be part of amplifying their joy and, you know, setting them off on a good foot. So that happens for weddings and babies and funerals, even where people bring flowers and food and just, you know, help people feel held and, you know, seen and part of the mix. These are such wonderful stories, heartwarming. Are you able to quantify your impact on different levels, right? Impact on building the community, impact on the environment by not letting all these items going to landfill, and in your words, amplifying joy. That is one of the things I am most excited about in terms of the app, because we have actually built tools in from the beginning. So we will be able to show people their impact. So these are metrics that we want everybody to see. So right now in the app, you can actually go to a section called community and you can see the number of gives, the numbers of asks, the number of gratitude posts, the number of connections made between people in the past week. That's just the beginning. So we're really hoping to find other ways to track all of these things and to start sharing that information with the people participating and with the world at large to say this is really viable. Like this is actually a way that we can keep things in use, build more resilient communities, address our environmental impact. And it doesn't happen at the cost of our other local economies. It's just, it helps all of us. It helps every, it just is making a more resilient, more sustainable world. That's, so we really, I'm so excited to be finally able to track some of those things in an easy way so that we can actually then share that information with people and hope that it's inspirational. 
On that inspiring note, Rebecca, it was truly a pleasure to talk to you and commiserate about the different issues that you're going through. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to be here and to talk to you about all this. And thank you for your um, insightful questions. You're listening to Mindful Businesses with Vidya Hayer. We'd love to hear from you. Send a voice note with your questions or comments to info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. Subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcast. If you learned a thing or two from this episode, share it with one friend. We recorded this podcast in Lafayette, Indiana. Theme music was composed by Tatum Gale. Our marketing assistant is Caitlin Milligan, and our advisors are Jim Stone and Anupama Pashricha. This is Vidya Ayer with Mindful Businesses.